maybe by a show of hands here, okay? How many of you have ever been called out before by someone? Anybody been called out before? Yeah. Whether it's a parent or friends or another family member, a teacher maybe, a coach, right? We've all been called out before. And, and I remember one very vividly, okay? And I remember vividly because it wasn't a parent, it wasn't a teacher, it was a peer of mine. And it actually, uh, it actually prompted some questions in my life. I remember I was at a middle school winter retreat. There was snow on the ground. We were staying in cabins, and I was in sixth or seventh grade. And at this retreat, at this kind of event center, this, this retreat center, there was a game called Carpet Ball. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Carpet Ball, but we would play that game endlessly. It was like pole balls, billiard balls, and it was just this carpet alleyway, and you tried to knock each other's billiard balls into the hole, whatever it was, right? And so we were playing this game all weekend long, okay? And we're playing there, and I don't remember if I was playing or just standing there watching, but something happens, right? And I can't remember what happens, or if I said something, I'm not sure what triggered this girl's response, but a friend of mine, or I thought was a friend of mine, right? A girl that was in the same grade as me, something happened, and she looked over at me, and she said, you're pretty mean for a pastor's kid. And I was like, ouch, right? It hit somewhere differently than anything else has hit before. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I started to process some things. And it honestly was one of the first times that I remember questioning myself in my life and even asking the question, am I a hypocrite in what I'm doing and how I am living? And inside of the conversation we're going to have today, we're going to talk about hypocrisy. And here's what I want to note. I think Jesus wants us to know something. That inside of this conversation of hypocrisy, hypocrisy is not just a church problem, it's a human problem. And the only answer to that problem is Jesus in the gospel. We're in this series called What About? And we're just taking five weeks to look at the top four reasons that people have questions, doubts about Christianity, God, Jesus. And we're saying, how can we start a conversation to be able to facilitate future conversations? Like I said the first week, I will not have all the answers for you, but I want this to be a conversation. So we've set it up as such. If you've missed the first three weeks or any of them, you can go to Spotify, YouTube, our website to listen to the podcast and get caught up. We also have numerous resources on our back wall and on our website that you can engage with. The most important thing I want you to know, and I've said this every week, is in this conversation, I want you to know the approach more than anything. The content hopefully is well worth it and beneficial to you, but the approach I think is the most important. That we want to approach this with a compassionate tone and courageous truth. That we want to approach it with love and with truth. We want to approach it with a desire to bring conversations to the surface inside of what we're talking about. Today, we're going to ask the question, what about hypocrisy? What about hypocrisy? And I was watching a TED Talk, interesting enough, that was entitled, Everybody is a Hypocrite, right? So it caught my eye, of course. And this uh, TED Talk is not uh, by a follower of Christ, but how they defined hypocrisy was this. Hypocrisy is belief minus action. It's belief minus action. So how do we see that play out? How do we take that equation? How do we see that play out inside of Jesus's time and scripture and what Jesus has to tell us? There's two kind of really important things to note about hypocrisy in scripture and how it's defined. So taking this equation, looking at scripture, there's two ways it can play out. First is this. Hypocrisy can play out by professing a belief, then acting contrary to that belief. Professing a belief in something or someone and then acting contrary, right? That is the belief minus action, right? It's kind of like this, right? Simple, super simple equation. It's saying I'm a Penn State fan and then yesterday cheering for Ohio State. That would be hypocrisy, right? In the simplest, silliest form. But there's a second way that scripture really plays this out and notes this. It's judging someone else's flaws without recognizing your own flaws. Judging someone else's flaws without recognizing your own flaws. 
right? And so that way, right, may not be professing a belief, but it is looking down on someone and not recognizing your own need for a savior, your own sinfulness, your own stuff that's going on. Now, here's what's important about hypocrisy. We're going to get into the thick of it a little bit, but hypocrisy is first and foremost a human thing, not a Jesus thing. A human thing, not a Jesus thing. Jesus actually calls out hypocrisy more than most other things when he was on this earth, or at least what scripture references. Jesus, as he interacts with, primarily it's towards religious leaders, and the religious guys of the day, he calls their stuff out on the table and says, you are acting one way and saying something over here. He actually puts some titles to it. This is what Jesus, as he is calling out maybe religious leaders of the day, he calls them this. First, a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's Matthew 7.15, right? You say one thing, you look a different way, you're acting different. Matthew 23.27, you whitewashed tomb. You make everything on the outside look really good, but on the inside, it's dead. There's nothing living. Matthew 23, broad of vipers, he calls them. Now, those are not like friendly terminologies, right? You call someone a broad of viper, it's not a friendly handshake and let's get going. Jesus wants to call something to the surface. Why? Because the word that Jesus uses for hypocrite can be translated as wearing a mask or an actor on a stage. Hypocrisy and how Jesus was using it literally means to wear a mask, to present something outwardly that's not happening inwardly, to present something in action that you don't actually believe, to be someone different than what you're actually are, to wear a mask. And my son, who I love dearly, is really into masks right now, right? He's a dinosaur fanatic. You walk into our house, there's crafts everywhere. It's primarily dinosaurs. He made a dinosaur mask, and he has a dinosaur costume, and, and he brought this for us graciously. It's my son's dinosaur mask, okay? And when my son puts this on, what does he become? He ain't Corbin anymore. He's a dinosaur. He's a T-Rex. And we run around the house. He's the T-Rex, and I am the human running for my life. That's, he's like, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, what is happening right now? My son, what's going on, right? And uh, I'm going to eat you is what he says. I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And so he does that, and he's a T-Rex all of a sudden, right? He's a T-Rex all of a sudden. Here's the reality. It's very easy for us to live life just like my son plays and put a mask on. It's very easy to walk into scenarios and situations and wear something that isn't actually me to present myself as better than what I actually am. And, and let's just go with the dinosaur theme for a second. Let, let's really uh, enjoy this and, and, and help my son out here, right? My son offered this for the day, which is a big thing, okay? But some of us, we put on a mask and we're like a T-Rex, right? We put on a mask, we're a T-Rex, and T-Rexes, they just run over people and things because maybe they got hurt or they're traumatized or maybe there's been things in their life that they had no control over, but they want to have control. And maybe you're here and you're a T-Rex and, and it's maybe a decision you've made or maybe it's something that's been done to you and, and you're just trying to get through. So you're just going to run people over because I have to have control. For others of us, another favorite of my son's is, is a spiky back, a stegosaurus, right? When you're a stegosaurus, you got all these nice spikes and, and they kind of can blend in and change color and they, can, they kind of flaunt their spikes around, Right? Some of us, we wear the mask of a stegosaurus, and we want to make sure everybody knows my accolades and my achievements, my success, so that they don't see what's really going on in my life or what's really been done to me or what's happening on the inside. And so I got to make sure everything's good on the outside. Social media is great. I walk into church, it's great. I walk into my workplace, it's great. You go home, and you have no idea who you are. Others of us wear triceratops. I love a good side triceratops, right? Got the three horns. What you do is you, you put that mask on and, and there's anger or maybe sadness or frustration. You kind of step back and then when everything kind of boils up, you blow up. And those horns become not just defense, but they become on the attack. It don't matter what mask you put on. Right? We all have them. It's important to note. We all have them. 
Every single one of us has a closet of mess that we pull out depending on the situation, scenario, people we're around, whatever the day might be like. And that's what we tend to wear. Hypocrisy at its base level is pretending to be someone or something that I am not, to say something over here and to be different and acting different over here. It's belief minus action. Now, before we go any further, I want to say two things. Because I know this conversation is not just black and white. It's very human. It's very real. It's very tangible. It has things tied to it that can be hard. I just want to stop and say, for some of us, we've been hurt by other people putting a mask on. We've been hurt by, whether it's a follower of Christ, whether it's the church, friends, family, coworkers, it don't matter who or what location, you've been hurt by people putting a mask on. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that has been the impact on your life. Maybe that's been the investment on your life and you can't trust anybody. You worry about things. You're not sure who you are in light of that and you've been hurt. And I'm sorry that that's been your experience. Sorry if it's been a follower of Christ and they've misrepresented Jesus and God to you. But you're welcome here. You're safe here. And we want to run into that conversation with you. I know if you're someone who maybe is questioning what you believe or if you believe in Jesus, you believe in God, or you're not really sure you've been hurt by people that say they believe in Jesus, I know that you walking in here is a big step maybe even an unfair one. We're asking you to come to our place and hear the pastor talk on what he wants to talk about. And I commend that courage to walk into a setting where maybe there's been hurt in the past. But we want you to know that you're welcome here and we want to have conversations. Now, on the flip side, for some of us, we're here and we're the ones wearing a mask right now. Doesn't matter what, doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter if it's this or that, we're just wearing a mask. We are acting out not who we are or we're concealing certain things so that others don't really know who we are. Or maybe we're looking down on others and not recognizing there's things in my life I need to take care of. Wherever it's at, you might be wearing a mask. And let me say this. You're also welcome here. You're welcome here. We're going to get into this because we believe that the church is not a group of select perfect people, but the church is a group of imperfect people leaning into the perfect Savior. And we want to invite you into that journey. And the most freeing thing that you can do is to take that mask off in front of Jesus. And we want to usher you into what that would look like. No matter where you're at, whether you've been hurt by someone wearing a mask, or you are wearing a mask, or both, which is usually the case. I know it has been for me. We want to have this conversation, not to point fingers, but to invite freedom and joy and peace and love into your life and ultimately so you can walk into Jesus with it. Today, I think the gospel gives me another story to lean my life on because here's what's interesting. The gospel is anti-hypocrisy. The story of Jesus is very clearly anti-hypocrisy. That's why I believe Jesus goes after it so much. Like he goes after it. He's attacking it because he knows that that is the root of a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And that is fake comparative to the love that he has shown us. We see this in Romans 12, 9. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good, right? We read that, and, and I love how he puts that. Don't just pretend to love. Really love them, which is hard to do if we are to be honest. We live in a very polarizing time. We live in a tense time. We live in a time where there's all these different dynamics playing into it. But Paul, interesting enough, is writing into a very similar time. Paul is writing to a church in Rome, which is very pluralistic. They had a temple to all the gods. 
There's a temple you could go worship any set of gods that you wanted to worship. And so he's writing to a group of people who are following Jesus, who they believe is the one true God, in a society that believes that there is multiple gods. You can just serve whoever you want to serve and worship whoever you want to worship. Pretending to love someone could have been very easy. So I can just get by. I don't get harassed. I don't get made fun of. I don't get any suffering or persecution involved inside of my journey. And yet Paul says, really love them. Because pretending to love is void of sacrifice, truth, and real love. Hypocrisy is not disagreeing with someone's beliefs. It is pretending to love inside of your life. Not disagreeing with someone, having a different set of beliefs. I'm right, you're wrong is pretending to love inside of those conversations and inside of life with people. Because here's what the gospel tells me. First and foremost, God loves you. We have to start there. Your understanding and image of God dictates how you lean into and follow God. We believe God loves you. Two reasons. He created us. He created us purpose and meaning and in individuality, and he created us with, with, with reason to give back to creation. He gave us with a role, and he gave us with all this purpose to be a part of his creation. But he doesn't just stop there. Because some would argue, well, that's just employees for the Almighty God, but he cares for you too. Adam was alone. He created Eve to be a partner in this journey. He created animals to be enjoyed. He created fruits and veggies. He created all this livelihood around the garden. He cares for us, and he wants to be in relationship with you and I. That's his heart's desire. But ultimately, you see this play out in the story of Jesus, too, which we'll get to. But John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But have eternal life. God created you, and he cares for you. He cares about your well-being, your heart, your life, and overall good. That's not only why he created you to live in enjoyment of him, but he created boundaries to be lived in so that you can enjoy him to the utmost. But we see very quickly in Genesis 3, sin separates us. Sin separates us. We cannot be sinfully in the presence of a holy, perfect, almighty, loving God. Sin separates us. And what's interesting is our sin, our missing of the mark, our deciding to sit in the seat that only God sits in and take control of my life, what we do when that gets thrown to the surface is very interesting. Do you know what our natural tendency to do is when we're faced with our sin and missing the mark? Genesis 3. Let's read it. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. Now listen, two things. This is after Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent to eat the fruit from the tree they were not supposed to eat from. First, note the context. Second, God is very relational. He's walking in the cool of the day in the garden. He was with them. He wasn't just separated out here, right? And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? Our number one tendency is to hide, to put that mask on, to run, to go to the closet, close the door. No one can know. That we tend to hide. That is what you and I will most naturally feel to do. I'll get to it later on. Isolation combined with deception is dangerous. It's very dangerous. What does God do in response to this? Two things that feel contradictory, but they're not. God first punishes, then he gives a promise. God plays out what he promised would play out. He says, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. That there, there will be separation. There, there will not, don't just trust me. Don't go there. Don't just trust me, Adam and Eve. Don't go there. And Satan says, you surely won't die. You'll become more like God. You, you won't be separated. It'll be fine. God has to follow through with. And sometimes when we talk about God's punishment and his discipline, we get like, oh, can he? If God is going to be all true, all loving, all holy, all the time, he has to follow through. And it's going to hurt sometimes, and it's going to refine, and it's going to lead us into what is better. 
His punishment is out of love for the sake of us choosing what is better, not just what's easy. Because what's powerful is this, after he tells them what's going to take place because they decided to trust themselves instead of him, he gives them a promise. His truth and grace are always tagged together. He says, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send someone who is going to save you, who is going to come and do what you cannot do for yourself. We find out that's Jesus. How loving of a God is that, that he would address what is hurting us and give us a better option, not through in and of ourselves, but through him. He promised a savior would clothe us in his righteousness through his sacrifice. Here's the reality. God would be hypocritical if he didn't follow through in either discipline or the promise. That's where we see Jesus come in. Jesus rescues us. Jesus rescues us. Romans 5, 8. He says this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, Paul writes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the promise. While we're still wearing the mask, while we're still running, while we're still trying to hide, Christ died for us. In the mess, in the junk, in all the stuff that's going on in our life, he said, come to me because I have made my way to you. I have rescued you. God did not send someone else. He sent himself in the form of man, Jesus Christ, the son of God, to live an anonymous life for 30 years and then get some followers from a, a little-known town, Nazareth, he started out of. He's getting some followers that are fishermen, all this stuff. And then he goes to the cross to die a criminal's death and then rise again. He rescues you out of your mask and he gives you life. Only Jesus can do that. Well, how? Because on that cross, he identified as a sinner so that you could receive his life in righteousness. That on that cross, he exchanged places with you. He rescued you from having to wear the mask. Now you can take that mask off. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the veil has been lifted. You have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And you do not have to worry about condemnation because he saved you. He rescues you. But secondly, he restores you. What I love is this. Jesus, he first exchanges places with us. I don't have to hide behind my mask. I can run into Jesus because he's answered it for me. But secondly, he restores us. That no longer do I have to live this life with a mask on. That I go from old to new. I go from a slave to sin to a child of God. I all of a sudden, things have clicked in spiritually for me to live this life physically, mentally, emotionally. In Colossians 3, Paul says this. Do not lie to each other, right? Lying to each other is just one of the results of wearing a mask, right? Since you have taken off your old mask with its practices, have put on the new mask or new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. It's taking off the mask, putting on Jesus. Taking off the old, putting on the new. And we get to enjoy three things because of that. When you and I say yes to Jesus... Something new starts. We're given a new identity. We're given a new community. And we're given a new mission. Automatically, when you and I say yes to Jesus, I believe the spirit of the living God, Jesus' spirit, resides in us. And all of a sudden, he takes control of our life. And when we give him control of our life, our old ways start to flush out and the new ways start to take a hold of it. And that becomes a journey. And that becomes a process. But the three things that we get to lean into is a new identity, a new community, and a new mission. Now, before I go any further, I believe that whether you have been hurt by or are wearing a mask, that is true for you. That if you've been hurt by someone wearing a mask, my hope is that you would run into Jesus, not away from him. Like I said, I think this is a human thing, not a Jesus thing. We run into Jesus, not away from him. If you are wearing a mask, Jesus offers you freedom through what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection. The freest you will be is not to hide it, push it down, get rid of it, but is to give it to Jesus. 
And I think Jesus walks us through that in Scripture in a number of different passages and environments to do that. I think, though, one of the primary purposes of the church is to do life together in pursuit of Jesus, to be on mission together in pursuit of Jesus, to understand my new identity together inside of Jesus. That's why he gives us the church. And unfortunately, inside of this conversation, what about hypocrisy? A lot of times the church is the first entity or group of people that gets thrown to the surface of that. And if you've been hurt by the church, I am so sorry. I am. It's unfair to you. It's unfair to uh, your life, your story. You might be navigating right now, and we would love to have conversations around that. My hope is that I don't give you answers to tell you to dismiss it or throw it away, but that I would show you what Jesus' desire in us being the church is. And I hope that that encourages you and I to run into that. We will not be perfect. But in our pursuit of a perfect Savior, he promises to transform, to bring to the surface, and his love changes everything. So what does it mean to be a part of the church? I think it means both things individually and collectively. When you say yes to Jesus, you become the church. The church is not a building. It is a group of people. The Greek word translated as church means called out assembly. Called out, why? Because the gospel has called us out of new or out of old into new. We are called out from the gospel to live a life following after Jesus. And so when you say yes to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, you stop going to church, you become the church. This is just a building that houses a church, and we get to function as the church in everyday life. And the desire of the church is to make Jesus make sense with our new identity, new community, and new mission inside of that, okay? So how do I pursue that? Where do I go with that? What does Jesus define as the church? I'm going to say three things, but before I do, I think it's important to note that I'm talking a lot about hypocrisy. What you'll hear me say is that we need to run to Jesus with our lives and our sin and our shame and things that are going on underneath the surface. But I want to come over here for a second. I think it's important to note that when Jesus writes about those things, healthy, running into him, healthy, confession recognition of my sin, it needs to be done in the right environments, the right people, ultimately have the right conversation. It can be just as unhealthy to walk into certain environments and just let it go willy-nilly. Hey, this is blah, 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 blah. That can be just as hurtful. And so we need to recognize that this is a tension that is felt inside the church that as we run into Jesus, there can be heavy, messy things with that. And there are things in place inside of Scripture, inside of who Jesus is, inside of how he has set up the church to ultimately bring about healthy results for the gospel, not just for yourself. And so as we talk about this, keep that in mind as we run into it. There are three things I want to note about the church, not as a building, an organization, but as an organism of people gathering together for the sake of making Jesus make sense. How would we define it? First is this. The church is the bride, a bride, growing in Jesus. The church is a bride growing in beauty in Jesus, and with Jesus, and by Jesus. Have you ever heard the church recognizes that or illustrated as such? The church is the bride, and that is an invitation Jesus has given us to live out a very intimate and personal relationship with him collectively, yes, but also individually as a part of the church. This is a new identity I put on because Jesus has saved me. And Paul writes in Ephesians 5, a very powerful text, that he is writing in context to the family, husbands and wives and kids, but he says something in there that gives us a picture of how we interact with Jesus, okay? He's going to mention husbands in here. Now, husbands, look up here, okay? I'm not going to go here today. This would be a passage that would be well worth your time underlining and memorizing and meditating on. It is a challenge to do this, but yet is the best way to interact inside of your marriage, just like Jesus did with the church. This is where Paul goes, husbands... Love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, 
He's telling husbands, literally lay down your lives for your wife. It's not a power play being a husband. It is a sacrificial play. That is the best way to be a husband. Now, he gives us the example. Why? How? What's this mean? He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. When you and I say yes to Jesus, we all of a sudden gain this new identity. The old is gone, the new is here. And inside of this new identity, I become a bride of Jesus that literally inside of this intimate relationship, I get to function with the king of the universe and he's invited me in as such. So we got to note some things there because this, I think, vitally gets missed. I think sometimes we talk about Jesus and we say yes to Jesus, we get out a hell free card and we kind of move on and do some really good things in life. But what Jesus wants us to know, it's not just a get out of hell free card. It is a new identity that you live with forever and relate to me with forever. And in this life, you can live it out, not worrying about putting on a mask because I've put something new on you. And it is called son or daughter of the king, the bride of the savior, which changes everything. What does it mean, though? Well, this new identity, first and foremost, it brings a new intimacy. This new identity it brings a new intimacy. The question I would ask is this, does the love Jesus has for me push me to pursue him? Does the love Jesus has for me push me to pursue him? Am I relating to him? Am I pursuing him as my savior, my king? Is I, am I pursuing him for who he is, not just what he's done for me? Here's the reality. When I became husband to Jessica, it changed how I pursued her, or hopefully it does, Right? When I'm at that altar, the relationship changes and now I can pursue her with an intimacy because this new identity has been a part, is now a part of my life. I'm her husband and now I get to love and sacrifice and get to know her in different ways. Intimacy can be broken down as into me see. Me and Jess all of a sudden because we're husband and wife have this unique relationship that I will never have with anybody else. You guys, my kids, my parents, anybody else, only me and her. And as we have proclaimed our love at the altar, that should be enough to pursue her in understanding, in knowledge, in love, in sacrifice. And when we take it spiritually, Jesus stood at the altar with us and the cost that he gave up was not his individual freedom, he can live on his own, he gave up his life for us. So that we could function with him in this new relationship where all of a sudden I get to know the savior of the world, the king of the universe who created me. Talk about a new intimacy. New identity also brings new security. Does the love Jesus has for me define me? New identity brings a new security. No one reason we wear a mask is because we're not secure in who we are in and of itself. We wear masks because we're not sure what they'll think of me, what they'll say to me, what they'll say about me. We wear a mask so that they think I'm better than or at least neutral inside of relationships. And Jesus says, I died for you and rose again so that you could be secure in the love I have for you. You don't have to go elsewhere to how define it and to find it. You can find it in me. That is the biggest struggle that human beings will, can, and do live with. It's wondering if I'm enough, if I have enough, if I'm doing enough. Lastly, new identity brings new lifestyle. New identity brings a new lifestyle. Do I trust the love of Jesus enough to live like Jesus? I trust the love of Jesus enough to live like Jesus. New identity brings a new intimacy. He knows us differently now. When relationship, new identity brings new security. I don't have to second guess if he loves me or not. He proved that. New identity brings a new lifestyle. Am I willing to follow Jesus, not just for the sake of my salvation, but because he's better? I think sometimes I can trust Jesus just for my salvation, and I never follow through with my lifestyle. And when you dive into an intimate relationship with the king of the universe, the one who created you, 
the one who knows your soul to the very being of you, he is going to reveal things inside of you out of love so that you can live in pursuit of what's better, which is him. Your journey, whether you live 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, will be a constant running into him. He will reveal and pull out at deeper levels so that you are running into his love and loving like him more and more. So if I have a new identity, I need to be willing to wrestle with a new lifestyle that Jesus presents me, which means giving him my sin, giving him my previous lifestyle, giving him my shame, and allowing him to transform me inside of that. The church is not beautiful on its own. We need Jesus for that and to lean into Jesus. The biggest thing that contributes to hypocrisy is the mask of believing I can do it on my own. And I, in and of myself, am enough. That's where we get in trouble, is when we don't believe that I am enough through what Jesus has done for me, that I have an intimate relationship with Jesus, that I can live with Jesus, that he actually cares about me. So I start to play that out into myself, and so I'll wear a mask, and I'm willing to hurt people so that I can make it through life. This is what Tim Keller says in one of his books, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, context to this quote here real quick. He is talking about how Christianity is different than other worldviews. He's not bashing worldviews. He's just showing you the differences, and I think it's profound. Do you realize, he says, that it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get your verdict before the performance? Note that. The atheist might say that they get their self-image from being a good person. They are a good person, and they hope they eventually will get a verdict that confirms that they are a good person. Performance leads to the verdict. For the Buddhist, too, performance leads to the verdict. If you're a Muslim, performance leads to the verdict. He goes on. All this means that every day you are in the courtroom. Every day you're on trial. That is the problem. But Paul is saying that in Christianity, he's referencing a, a 1 Corinthians passage Paul is talking about. The verdict leads to performance. Listen. Every day, if we're doing life without Jesus, we enter into a quote-unquote courtroom with a mask on hoping it's going to be enough, hoping my performance is enough, hoping my accolades is enough, hoping I, I've hidden enough so that the judge doesn't throw me out, hoping that I can do enough. Every day, there's a weight that you and I spiritually carry if we carry the mask around. What Paul is saying Jesus has done for us is he has done what only he can do, what we cannot do. He has done what we cannot do for ourselves so that we live out of that not for it. In Jesus, we are not living for his approval, we're living out of his approval. That at the cross, Jesus said, you are mine when you trust me with this because I have done for you, I have identified as you on the cross so that I can clothe you in righteousness and life and I can come around you and you can live life with me forever and live on this earth for me. You can take off the mask because I have called you as chosen. You are my child when you come to me. You are no longer a slave to sin. You now are an ambassador. You don't have to enter into the courtroom every day because I entered in for you and took the cross and took your, your sin and took your shame. Just say yes to me. That new identity changes everything with how I interact with Jesus it's no longer if I can climb the mountain. It's no longer if I can do well enough. It's no longer if I can cover up enough or hide enough. Because we can't. There's not enough mass for that. Once we peel off the mask, it gets real messy and dirty. Jesus says, that's okay. I took for you what you deserved. For some of us, it starts there. Understanding that we have a new identity in Christ to live out. Because I believe as the church... We are not here trying to prove something. We are here trying to pursue someone. We are not here trying to prove something. We're here to try to pursue someone. Walking into church is not a mathematical, moral game of if I'm doing better than the other person or not. It is us pursuing Jesus together. And you know what church people, the question church people hate the most? How you doing? Not going for it, you know. Good, right? How are you doing? Good. Just don't ask the follow-up question, which I do. Is it a okay? Is it a good okay or is it a bad okay? Right? 
We hate that question because maybe the mask will be pulled off. And Jesus says, it's okay not to be okay. But run into me with it. Don't try other masks on. Secondly, the church is a building grouping around the cornerstone. Church is a bride growing in beauty with Jesus. Church is a building grouping around the cornerstone, being built around the cornerstone. Matthew 16, 18 gives us context. Jesus telling Peter, I tell you this, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Two things to know about this passage. First is this, Jesus builds his church, I do not. Jesus builds his church, I do not, you do not. Our role is to make disciples. Jesus says, trust me with it. Trust me, I'm the king of the universe. I can deal with the church. I'm going to build it. you got to trust me with that. Secondly, though, he says, the gates of hell will not overcome it. If Jesus is building his church, we all right. If we're trying to build our church, we not all right. If Jesus is building his church, ain't nothing going to take it down. Don't matter what's going on, tribulations, suffering, trying to stomp it out, or any sort of mess that takes place. Jesus continues to build his church. It is tried, tried, and tried, and it hasn't succeeded. Jesus builds his church. Hell cannot overcome it. Then Paul follows up with Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wow, there's powerful language there. What we are doing is not just going to church. We're being built into a building called the church with some pretty heavyweight terminology to it. A holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is the goal and the hope of the church that we're not just gathering in a building for some sake of doing some ritualistic thing with some old-time scriptures and music and coffee and donuts so that we can say we're a club. We believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world who created the world, who came and saved us from our sin, that he is living and active, and he's living in each and every one of us individually, and collectively, we want to be a space of people, a group of people, a called-out assembly that is representing Jesus through his Spirit, abiding inside of us individually and collectively, and that we would be looked at differently, not because of what we've done, but because of how Jesus transformed us. That in the process of that, we need to be built into a building, right? Church not building, but built into a figurative building around the cornerstone. Well, what does that mean for you and I? Well, Paul is giving us an image here that I think is different than what we imagine with building. We imagine a building being built like this. The bricks, it's all uniform, it all looks pretty. This is the walking into church, you okay? How you doing? Good. Right? We're just like, we just kind of make it through, right? Everything is just kind of okay, right? What Paul is referencing is stones being built into a building. This. It's a little bit messier. All the stones are different. They're really flat some, a little thicker some, different sizes. You had to find, kind of Tetris them all together. And they're built on a perfect cornerstone. The best stone they could find to make the foundation make sense. That we are imperfect stones pursuing the perfect cornerstone, being built on the perfect cornerstone. Well, what does that mean then? As we're being built, I think there's three things we need to lean into as the church, being the church, running into each other, being built. First is this community. We need other people. This Jesus thing is not an individual sport. This isn't golf. This is football. This is a team sport. That we get to run together in this. Why? Because of support and encouragement? Yes. But here's the real reason. You are built when you're forced to sacrificially love others that it sometimes is hard to do. I think community and running into it is the most necessary because it forces us to love like Jesus loved us. When I'm alone, when I'm alone, I love fantastic. So all I have to love is myself. And I think I'm a pretty good guy when I'm alone, right? When I get around people, oh boy, that's much harder. 
Jesus is doing something inside of community. He's building us not to just get along and have interests the same, but to really love each other even if we are disagreeing with each other, even if we don't see the same point as each other, even if it gets tense at times. Community is necessary. Secondly, we need confession. We need to run into God and people that will know us to point us to Jesus. Now, this is one of those things that environment is really important to note. It's not like we're going to start having uh, open mic confession, okay? So that's never going to happen here. But as you get into the community of the church, our desire is that confession bringing out of the old, bringing out what is staining, bringing out what God wants to cleanse, will be presented in the right environments for the sake of gospel conversations happening and bringing about health. That's the goal. So am I allowing God and others to know me enough to point me to Jesus? Lastly is coaching. Coaching. You surround yourself around trusted leaders that will lead you into Jesus. Trusted leaders. We have a great staff. We have a great steering team. We have great life group leaders. We have some great elders of this church that desire to lead you into Jesus. I want to bring you along, not just in your pain points and your sin, but in the celebrations and in the newness of walking with Jesus. You need coaches that will come around you to follow Jesus with you and equip you inside of that. Listen, the biggest, biggest, scariest, gnarliest thing we can do is in deception that Satan gives us, retreat to loneliness. That is an equation for disaster. When you are faced with things in your life, the first response should be Jesus and community and how I do that together. And sometimes that takes a while. And sometimes that takes a moment. And either way, Jesus is waiting for you inside of that. The church is not a place for perfect people, but a place for imperfect people following a perfect Savior. Our hope is that he transforms us in the process. Last thing here, real quick. The church is the body going together. Church functions as one body with many parts. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul would say this, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts uh, form one body. So it is with Christ. We are one body. The church is a body. We're all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Here's the reality. What I love about all these passages, Jesus, Paul, whoever's writing here, talks about the church being unified. We have disagreements sometimes, yes. Are we going to be in tension sometimes? Yes. But the unity is found in the cornerstone of Jesus. When we're unified around Jesus, the tension comes to Jesus, not towards each other. It comes and says, how do we navigate this together? There's unity in the body. That is the desire. And what I love about this is that inside of the body, there's going to be many parts that give to the body in unique and different ways. And we need to celebrate that, not compete with it. We need to collaborate together, not compete with it. The desire is to make Jesus make sense inside of us as a church. And the biggest thing that I can do to get in the way of that is to compete or start to think that I need to do something different so that I'm better than or that I can be seen more or that I can do this more. We all have a role to play. There are a lot of people behind the scenes that make what happens here happen here on a weekly basis that don't ever get seen or clapped for. And yet they're making it happen. And we need those parts just as much as we need worship leaders, just as much as we need those leading ministries in our community. We need every part to play its role, not in a competitive way, but in a collaborative way for the sake of Jesus making sense. And the mask I can put on is trying to do it in and of myself, trying to be my own savior. And when I do that, I start to run over people and hurt people. That's a part of my story, right? It's a part of the journey I've been on. So as the worship team comes up, just a couple questions to end. Don't tune out yet. Just a couple questions that I just want to end on to help make this tangible and response-oriented. Because I don't just want this to be some facts or we talked about defining the church, but I want it to be more of a, I want it to start individually to make waves collectively. So the first question I would ask is this, to yourself, am I wearing a mask right now? Am I wearing a mask? Am I, am I trying to hide something that 
should be out in the surface, that I should bring to Jesus? Am I, am I looking at someone in ways that I shouldn't be or judging someone in ways I shouldn't be? Is there a mask that you're wearing and, and trying to figure out life with? You need to know you're welcome here. And these kind of conversations are something that we believe Jesus wants to have. And so for you, maybe it's asking the question, what about Jesus? Do I need Jesus? Whether you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to unveil the mask per se, run into him, or you've been following Jesus for 35 years, 20 years, whatever it may be, you've been a part of church and you have a mask right now that you're functioning in life with and it is creating a weight and a burden for you. Jesus invites you into him and we'd love to have those conversations, like I said, in the right environments, in the right places. Then lastly, I would ask this, of those three C's, what do you need to connect to more? Community, confession, or coaching? Where is God leaning into your life right now for the sake of not you becoming a better version of you, but you becoming more like Jesus, living for the sake of him and making him make sense to those around you? Father, we thank you because you are our God and you are so good. Father, we know that the gospel tells us very clearly that this is a conversation that you want to have with us. The gospel tells me that you are not a hypocrite, that you love us and you desire what's best for us and you will lead us and guide us in the truth. Give us your word in that. So Father, as, as we sit in this moment, would you just allow us to reflect upon the gospel and the beauty and the wonder of who you are and all that you have done for us? May that be the encouragement to run into you run into coaching, run into confession, run into community, run into our new identity in you. Father, would your spirit hover over this place and unite us and grace us with your presence right now, Father. We give this to you. We ask that you would do with it as you please. Let us unite.